us. But we are here to trust him. We are here to trust him. To, to trust who he says about us. Who he says about us. Um, how does this grace work? How does it work? Um, and I want to use my life an example, as an example to show how it works. How it works. Um, you know, grace is that quality of God that is that forms an overarching and encompassing quality with which God deals with us. He deals with us on the basis of his grace. From creation, it's been grace. God didn't need us. He didn't need us. You know, somebody asked me, why do we have children? Why do we have children? We have children. Though Some people will say, well, we have children so that they will come and serve us. No. We have children so that we can share love with them. We can share love. We can share the companionship. Yes, we would like our children to serve us, help us. But the most important thing for me, why I decided to have children, is to be able to share with them, to share my love with them. And so it is with our Father. He created us so that we will glorify him, yes, but also for, for him to share that love, to share that love. There is nothing that I enjoy most when, when my children come to me and say, Daddy, my head just goes, Pew, wow, Daddy. And, you know, that is, that is the spirit that God has given to us. Galatians 5 say we have been given what? A spirit of what? Sonship. Yes. By which we cry out, Abba, Father. Yeah. That word, Abba, Father, is just Abba, Father. It's just darling. It's like saying, Daddy. Daddy, Father. It's an endearment term. You know, and in fact, Daddy is an endearing term. It's, it's, it's a intimacy. And I, I, I usually define intimacy as intimacy. 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 I'm saying, Lord, here, yeah. intimacy. And, you know, there are two things, uh, two qualities, two variables I see in intimacy. It is vulnerability and weakness and transparency. You cannot be intimate if there is no transparency. If there is no vulnerability. In other words, I am willing to be weak. I'm willing to show you my weakness. I'm vulnerable. I'm transparent. The Bible says, Adam and Eve were naked. They were naked before each other, right? They were transparent. 
It was only when sin came in that they began to hide from each other, right? Uh, You know, hide from each other and try to hide from God. Can you hide from God? No, you can't. So intimacy, and that is what the Father wants, or that's what the Father delights in doing with us. How does grace work? You know, we are surrounded by grace. Every day, every moment of our lives is grace. And so when I hear people say, well, this grace message, I really don't understand it. Grace has always been with us. See, creation was made out of grace. We were created out of grace. Everything that we have received in this life is by grace. The one who lives inside of us, Jesus Christ, is what? He's full of what? Truth and grace. Truth and grace. So grace surrounds us every moment of the day. Every second is grace. You know, we often say, well, it's by grace. How gracious you are. Grace. But the greatest thing, I guess, the one thing about grace that we are not so familiar with is, you know, how grace resolves our sin issues. How does it resolve our sin issues? You know, when I say sin issues, I'm not talking about the sins you've committed. I'm talking about the effect of sins of others on you. The bad things that people have done, how they affect you. How you have seen yourself. Like my brothers were sharing, like I was sharing. You know. How does grace take care of the effect of sin on me? Including, of course, my own sin. By God's grace, we experience the environment of grace yesterday in this place. I didn't know. Like Pastor said, after I shared, I stepped out and came back and uh, saw what was going on. And people were hugging me, almost squeezing out my intestines. I said, what is going on here? Yeah. Weeping, squeeze me. I said, my Lord. But the environment of grace was what created here. You know what the environment of grace does? It opens things up. Yes. You know, that or because of the intimacy in all the masks that we have been wearing. And I tell the brothers and sisters, we have masks. I used to wear them a lot. I had different masks for different occasions. Hear me. I had different masks for different occasions. It was the time I had the mask of a clown. A clown, yeah. A clown. 
Because I felt if I'm humorous, if I jest, if I make people laugh, they will accept me. And if they accept me, I will feel good about my insecurities. The insecurity of rejection. Now, there are three kinds of people when it comes to rejection. Those that have been rejected, those that are currently rejected, and those that will be rejected. Rejection is everywhere. So I wear those masks. If only I could clown, if only I could jest, they will accept me. If they accept me, I will accept myself. I wouldn't feel so bad. I had a clown of academics. I mean, a, a mask of academics. If only I could excel in school, I will accept myself. And then others will accept me. I, had a cl- I mean, a mask of anger. You know, anger is a form of control. Yes. You know, if I, if I scream at you, you would pipe down, and then I would ascend to, you know, ascendancy. Yes, you know, I'm able to control you. But why? Because I had some insecurities there. I didn't want to project the insecurities. Anger. I became a control freak. You know those control freaks? Yeah. If I just, I could control everybody. If I do well in school, I can control everybody. If I get angry and scream, I'll control everybody. My thesis this morning is this, that the environment of grace it provides us with truth. Number one, it provides us with truth. The truth about who you are, who God says you are. Yes. It's in your north place, how grace works. And this is on page, on page 12. Page 12. Is in your note. The truth, and you know one thing, truth has been personified. Jesus says I'm what? The truth. The way and the life. So truth is personified. So the environment of grace provides Jesus, the truth. The truth sets you free. If the Son of God sets you free, you are free indeed. It it provides acceptance. Acceptance. Instead of rejection. Because grace is a safety net. Grace is a safety net. Grace says, hey, even though I may not have passed through what you've passed through, but uh, I've experienced something. I can accept you. I'm not going to look down on you because personally I'm also carrying things. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to criticize you. I will accept you. I cannot reject. Why should I reject you? 
the environment of grace provides healing. Haven't we experienced that here? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did. Healing. 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 In fact, one of the most difficult, one of the most critical form of sickness is a mental sickness. I had to go through four years of, uh, you know, learning uh, how to cope with mental sickness. Because, you know, the mental, you know, your mental state affects your physical. Um, Most of the uh, ailments we see in the hospital, you know, heart attack, um, stroke, and all those things. You know, if you trace it, it had to do with, you know, something that has to do with the beliefs. What has a person been believing? What has he, what has he or she been thinking of? Because as a man thinks, so is he. As a man thinks, so, so, so is he. Healing. If we are spiritually, mentally, psychologically healed, it will take care of some of the somatic problems that we experience, right? The doctors are here. It provides safety. Provides safety. The great environment provides safety. You know, you know they often say, you know, what happens in uh, Vegas stays in Vegas. Yeah, yeah, here. It stays here. You are safe. You are safe to emote. You know, God gave us tears to shed, right? God gave us tears to shed. And 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 shedding tears is good. It's good for you. You know, I've often heard people say, you say, men don't cry. That's a lie. (laughs) That's a lie from the pit of hell. Yes. If you have an opportunity. In fact, I got to a stage because I kept my tears for so long. I kept my tears for so long. That the day I broke, I mean, it's like the fountain of tears broke within me. And after I went, I said, wow, this feels good. This feels good. Safety. I'm safe around here. Because what I share here will not go out. But even if it goes out, I'm already free. Amen. Amen. I'm free. I'm free. You know, for years, what I shared yesterday, uh, up till the age of 45, 46, I couldn't say it. You know why? Shame. Shame. Uh, You know what shame is? Shame says you are worthless. That's what shame says. There's there's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt says, I have done something wrong. But shame says, I am wrong. There's a whole lot of difference. I wonder whether you catch that. Guilt says, I have done something wrong. Shame says, I am wrong. And if you are wrong, nothing good can come out of you. That's what I was carrying. Shame. I am worthless. 
You see, shame is not, you know, a commercial strength guilt. Shame is just, I am attacking your personality. It's an attack on your personality. That's what shame is. And that is why, you know, I often say here that, you know, a terrible definition of a believer is to say, I'm a sinner saved by grace. You have already identified yourself as a sinner. sinner. That's, right. That's, right. That's right. Because sinner, saint, righteous, those are identity terms. They are identity terms. They are not behavioral terms. They are identity. In other words, this is who I am. Because this is who I am, therefore I do this. So I say I'm a saint who sometimes commit acts of sin. And that is correct. Because none of us is sinless. The Bible does not preach sinless perfection. No. We still have, uh, like Paul says, that the things I want to do, I do not. But the very things I do not want to do, those are the things that I do. And he says, if I do the things I do not want to do, then it is not me doing it. And I say, Paul, would you calm down and tell me what I'm confused, Paul. You know? So I said, then who is, are you saying that the devil made, say, there is, they say, if I now do the things I do not want to do, then I'm not the one doing it, but it is sin. That is in, and he said, in my body. So it's sin. Now sin, you know those the sin as an entity, the power of sin is not sinning as a verb, like uh, Pastor Dollar was saying. It's not sinning as a verb, but sin as a noun, sin as an entity. He says it dwells in my body. It's not in my spirit. It's not in my soul. It dwells in my body. That's the power of sin. And this power of sin works alongside with the enemy. You know, we have the Holy Spirit that works with Christ. We have the unholy spirit, which is the power of sin that colludes with Satan, the enemy, the devil, and then puts thoughts in our mind. I was sharing with my sister. You see, we hear voices. We hear voices. And some of those voices, we think that they were our voices. And they put those condemning thoughts. You are a bastard. You are a fool. You are stupid. You are, you name it. Those thoughts. And you know, those thoughts, when they come, I'm telling you from my own experience, those thoughts, when they come, they will not say you are a bastard because immediately says you are a bastard. I would know that that is not my voice, right? When it says you, you are pointing to some other person, right? But that voice will speak with my own accent, with my own language. It would also speak, you know, the first person singular. It doesn't say Stephen, you are a bastard. It say I am a bastard. I am stupid. Who can ever love you? Oh, no, no. Who can ever love me? 
So he speaks those things. And you know what? Because they speak my language, my accent, I will eventually believe that those thoughts are from me. And so I will believe I would own it and then I'll act on it. But if you know that those thoughts are not generated by you, then you can cast them out. You know, Paul said, taking those thoughts, what? Captive to the obedience of Christ. You know, anything that, any thought that negates, you know, the word of God, what God says you are, if it negates that, you take them captive to the obedience of Christ. And that is how grace has helped me to fight that war. Because those thoughts will always come. Grace environment gives us a perspective. A perspective. You know, perspective means the way of looking at things or thinking about things. It gives you the right perspective. Uh, I think Monday is that we are we are seated with him in the heavenlies. We are seated with him in the heavenlies. And I know I've, I have traveled a few times when I'm flying in the air. When you're flying in the air, your vision is different from when you are on the ground. You can see the end from the beginning. So if I'm seated with him in the heavenlies, <laughs> I can see the end of this. I can see the end of this struggle. I can see the end of this challenge. And the end is, what does he say about it? Whose story will I believe? So if I'm seated with him in the heavenlies, and I'm going through this, I have a a panoramic view, I see the end. He says, you were healed by his stripes. So, oh, okay, I'm seated with him. I can see that healing. I can see the end of what I'm going through. I'm not only go- I'm not going to be fixated at where I am now because I see the end of it. A different perspective because you are seated with him in heavenly places. It provides freedom. Freedom to be you. That's the greatest freedom that I've experienced. The freedom to be me. With all of my challenges, I no longer want to pretend. I no longer want to act. You know, there are so many actors in the church. So many actors. In fact, there is an industry of acting you go to Hollywood. All they do is just act. And it's a, ter- a terrible thing to be another person. The freedom to be you. Then there is power. Grace. The power that you never knew you had. Paul says, the power, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is working in you and I. 
uh, that same power. And it is only in the environment of grace that you can experience that power. The power that says, in spite of uh, you know, the abuses, in spite of what I'm hearing, in spite of what I'm seeing, I'm going to stand up and declare and declare that God loves me. And you know what? These are the fundamental realities. They are foundational to resolving our sin issues. And you know what? We go through all kinds of struggles, those self-defeating behaviors. You know, I'm not talking about the big sins. No, I'm not talking about that. Many of us are too good for that. I'm talking about those carryovers. Carryovers from a BC, as before Christ, or BA, before born again days. Those things, that we, those uh, strategies that we have developed in order to get our needs met, in order to live. You know, deception, you know, little white lies here and there. Uh, anger, depression. You know, depression can be a coping mechanism. Self-pity. You know, um, self-righteousness. Pride. You know, pride is not only when I exalt myself. Pride is also when I lower myself. You know, I say I am the worst. That's pride. Because you're putting attention on yourself. Self-absorption, self-obsession, all kinds of addictions. You know, addiction is not only addiction to a substance. There are people who are addicted to others. We are addicted to people. We call that codependency. Codependency. You know, I will use you to feel good. You know, as long as I make you to need me, I feel good. The day you refuse to need me, I'm going to rain on you. I'm going to woo you so that you need me because I get the tick when I'm needed. If I'm not needed, I'm I'm just. And so you you see you see parents, (laughs) you see parents. uh, You know, they say, "My child is my life." They will excuse all kinds of behaviors from the children just because they want to be needed. Codependency. And there are three things involved in codependency. Let me give you this. Number one, you become a caretaker. Caretaker. You know, you want to please everybody. And if you try to please this person and he says, no, I don't want it, the next thing is you begin to persecute. Am I lying? Okay. You begin to persecute the person. You withdraw all the things that you thought you were giving to the person and you think that you are loving. No, it's a toxic love. It's toxic love. 
you withdraw the benefit, and if the person still doesn't change, you say, oh, of all the things I've done for you, is that how you treat me? Now you begin to play the victim. You hear me? You begin to play the victim. And still the person doesn't want to agree. You kick him or her out. And then you take that toxic love to the next relationship. You take it to the next relationship. Codependency is a dangerous thing. When you hear people say, I love you. I love you. I'm doing this because I love you. Watch out. It could be toxic love. They just need you so that they will feel okay. But thank God that he has liberated us from all of those things. Because we, we can receive the true love. We can receive the true love. And, and you know, this is, this is, this is a healing, this, this is a healing room. This is, this is like a hospital. Yes. This, this is like a hospital. You know, God calls us his sheep. One of my teachers used to say, you know what sheep smell? They smell. Sheep. I, I, I mean, how many people have seen sheep? You know, they smell. Do you, you know, sheep say, hmm, you smell? No, nope. you also smell. <laughs> and so we come to the hospital in a gathering like this with all our smells. Mm. And then the Lord <laughs> waves his deodorant on us. We all smell good. We all smell good. There are five truths uh, that gives us a lasting answer to, to that question. How does grace resolve our sin issues? And remember I said sin, your own sin, the things that you are struggling with. Uh, I forgot to mention one thing, paranoia. You know, you cannot trust. You can't trust. And it's okay because you've been betrayed. You've been betrayed. Betrayed by people. So you are scared of trusting. If I trust, if I move close, I'll be betrayed. And so let me be on my own. In my counseling office, I've seen so many people. And when they come in, I just weep for them. I weep. They can't trust. They can't trust their husbands. They can't trust their wives because way back in the past something had happened and said, hey, if you trust, if you dare love, you are risking yourself. You'll be in trouble. And so I hold back. You doubt everybody around. You see the worst in everybody. Number one truth is that humility attracts grace. Humility attracts grace. We will explain this. Grace will change our life focus. 
Grace would let us, would let God handle sin. Because you can't handle sin. I can't. It's only God that do that. Grace melts masks. Grace will begin to remove, you know, just like an onion, onion rings. Yeah. Take it one by one. Mask, number one, go. Humor, go. This one, go. This one, go. Until you are two-faced. Amen. That's good. And then you see yourself as God sees you. And lastly, grace will change how we treat each other and our sin issues. You know, Jesus would say, um, he said, how, how do you want to remove a beam from the eyes of your brother? No, no, no. A speck from the eyes of your brother when, he's, when you have a beam. He said, take away the beam so that you can see the speck. You know, the speck is tiny, the beam is big. See, remove it. And so when I know that we are all, you and I uh, work in the hands of God, God is working in me, He's working in you. Why should I be proud? Why should I reject you? Because you have told me that you are struggling with homosexuality. Why should I reject you? You know, it says, if you've seen one, you have seen all others. And so if I'm struggling with the sin of homosexuality, and this other person is struggling with the sin of lying, can help him or self lying, and he says, no, your own sin is, better, is bigger than mine. Mine is better. No. It's the same struggle. It's the same struggle. It's the same response from God. It's the same blood that washes cleanse of all. So it will change the way I see you, the way I treat you, and the way I can relate with your sin issues. Let's take the first one, attracting God's grace through humility. Can you put up for me First Peter First Peter, I will go faster you now. First Peter five. First Peter chapter five verses five to seven. First Peter chapter five verses five to seven. It is likewise you younger people submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. And be clothed with what? Humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Next. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Next. Casting all of your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Do you know that between verse 6 and 7, there is a comma, right? There is a comma. There's a comma. So, yes. It says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Comma, casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you. In other words, if I'm holding on to my cares, if I'm holding on to my anxieties, not casting them to the Lord, is pride. 
It's pride. I'm saying I can take care of this one. I can take care of this curse. Lord, you wait. Maybe I'll bring the big things to you. I'll bring the big curse to you. It says casting what? Some? All. Casting all of your curse upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. That is humility. There are two things. In fact, there are three things here. I'm looking at. Is it trust? Sorry. Humility involves trust. If I don't trust you, I will not cast my cares upon you. So trust is involved in it. That is why we can define humility as trusting God and others with me. I can trust you with me. I trust God with me. Humility is, means total dependency upon God. Total dependency upon God. Jesus will say, I will do nothing except that which I see my father doing. Jesus was totally dependent upon God. He entrusted himself unto God. You see, grace, so that we'll be at the same uh, level now. Grace means unmerited, unearned, unending, favor of God. We don't merit it. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. But he gives it anyway. And although it is unearned, unmerited, and all of that, you know, you can do something to spurn grace. You can reject grace through pride. You can reject grace through, through, through pride. But we can also attract grace by trusting God. Because God gives grace to those who trust him. If we say humility involves trust, and he says he gives grace to the humble, it means that he gives grace to those who trust him. Amen? Humility is not seeing ourselves in all our failures, uh, those uh, repugnancies. And God is not pleased with self-deprecation. In other words, you belittle yourself. You say, I am the worst of the worst. That is pride. You belittle yourself. And you know, some people think that is humility. Uh, you know, you do something in the presence of God, and people are blessed. You sing, and people are blessed. And then they walk up and say, Oh, Brother Stephen, that was. No, that wasn't me. I can't, I croak like a frog. The focus is now on you. So to belittle yourself is not humility. It is because you are trusting on your own assessment of yourself and taking credit for your relative goodness. You are also denying God's longing to be your goodness, your power, your ability, and your strength, your healing, and your truth. So don't see yourself as a worse, worse than anybody else, and think that is pride. That is humility. It's not. Pride shuts down grace. In contrast, humility allows us to boldly trust how God sees us and ushers us into his amazing grace. 
that specializes in resolving our sin issues. It also matures us. It matures us and frees us into the destiny that God has for us. Number two, grace changes our life focus. Grace changes our life focus. Can you put up for me Galatians 5, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. It says, I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. There is always this struggle in us. If there are two constants, that we, two realities that we always face, there will always be that battle in our mind. The mind is a battleground. You see, the spirit is lusting. Lusting there just means has this desire for the flesh. You see, the spirit is lusting against the flesh. The flesh is lusting against. Now, the flesh there is not the physical body. I define the flesh as a natural way of doing things. Those ways that we have developed to get our needs met apart from Christ. You know, uh, example, you know, my own flesh was. Uh, you know, self self pity. You know, I always have the self pity for myself. That's the, that that was a coping skill that I developed. And yours could be another thing. And every fleshly pattern is for control. Either you control the situation around, or you control yourself. That's flesh. That's what the Bible calls flesh. So those my natural ways are lusting against the spirit. And the spirit is lost against the So there will always be that sin, uh, experiencing sin in our lives. And the only time that we will lose that is when we have a new brain, when we have a glorified body. Then sin will be no more. Because all those things that I used to do, all those things I used to do before my busy days, they are still in my brain. They're not gone yet. Now, has anybody, the things that he used to do before he were born again, do you remember them? Yes. I do. I do. And every time the enemy will use that, I say, yep, Stephen, you remember that? I say, yeah, I do. Mm-hmm, but I am no longer a slave to sin. Amen. You see, I'm dead to sin, but I live unto God. Amen. Amen? Amen? So two unchanging realities. Experiencing sin issues. Number two, trusting God, trusting who God says we are. And it is, a, it is key that we ask ourselves, which one of these constants defines your life? Which one are you focused on? Which one are you focused on? Which one do you value? Because if you are focused on striving to get rid of the sins, then you cannot experience the joy of trusting who God says you are. If you are fixated, I want to get rid of this line, you are fixed on that, then you are not giving God the opportunity. Indeed, for you to believe, you you will not believe 
who God says you are. Because when he says that you are righteous, you are righteous, and you are fixed on, <laughs> you are fixated on, I want to get rid of, you know, lying. God says that you are righteous. So I want to believe that. You begin to confess that to yourself. We will never know our identity in Christ and we will never live out of our identities unless we start in the path of trusting God. Unless we start in the path of trusting God. I think it is in Romans 3 that says that the just shall live by what? By faith. And what is just? The godly, because that is what just, the godly shall live by what? Faith. What is faith? Trust. The godly shall live by trusting God. You see, we often hear people say, walk out your salvation with fear. And then when they pronounce, when they say fear, say fear. So that you'll be afraid. You say, walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, but they stop there. And that is the problem. Because there's a comma after that. It says, uh, that's that that uh, Philippians two, verse thirteen. Thank you, sir. Philippians two, verse, verse, verse thirteen. I've heard that scripture quoted to me so many times in my legalistic background. Start from twelve. Twelve Philippians two twelve. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in the presence in my presence only. But now, more, much more in my absence. Walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. And there is a, is that the colon? Yeah. In other words, he doesn't stop there. Now he's beginning another statement which relates to what was there before. He's now trying to explain why you should walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I will define what that fear and trembling is. He says, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do of his own good pleasure. And when he says, walk it out with fear and trembling, it's not for you to be afraid like you're afraid of a snake. He said, walk it out standing in awe. Standing in awe. Wow. Wow. This is God doing this. I couldn't have done this. Wow. I couldn't have stopped Alcohol, man. Wow. Stand in awe. Because it's not you doing it. It is God who is at work in you. But to will and to do. You know, we have to will something before we do it. You see, I decide to be here and I came. So you will and then you do. And sometimes we will and we don't do. So God says, I am giving you the ability to choose to do it. Not only do I give you the ability to choose to do it, but I'm also giving you the ability to do it, to follow up with your decision. So to resolve our sin issues, we must begin to trust God, the trust who he says about us. And if our life focus is striving to eradicate our sin issues, to say that we want to become a new me, you are already new. Right? You see, if anybody is in Christ, it's what? It's a new creation. All things are past and all things have become new. You are already new. 
He says, if you do that, that we will always keep me bound to my sin and we would never remain mature. We will always remain immature. How I view myself is the most revealing commentary of my theology. Now, the day I, I, I realized this, how I view myself is the most revealing commentary of my theology. Because it tells me about my relationship with God. It tells me about my relationship with others. It tells me whether my trust is in myself or God. It sort of tells me if I am maturing into Christ-likeness. How do I view myself? How do you view yourself? What do you tell yourself? Because we're always telling ourselves things. We always, those voices, we're always telling ourselves things. God says you are blameless. You say, hey, if you knew what I did, I'm not blameless. God says you are righteous. You say, me, righteous? No way. So there is always, there is always a, a disconnect, a disconnect between what God says you are and what you really know you are. There's always a disconnect. Okay. So, my view about myself is a good commentary of my theology. Whose report would you believe? Number three. Remember that uh, we, are, we are trying to answer the question, how does grace resolve our sin issues? Number three, grace will let us handle We'll let God handle our sins. He lets God handle my sins. You know, part of the reason why many of us have not experienced, you know, the intimacy with God, even though we are saved, if we die today, we'll make heaven, is because we still think that those things that we did in the past and those things that uh, we've just done puts a barrier between us and God. That there is a chasm. Wow, big mass of sin that separates God and I. We still believe that. And so we are afraid. Like Adam and Eve, when they sinned and God came down, he said, Adam, where are you? And they started running. They were hiding. They were hiding. So, we, so it brings that hiddenness. We want to hide. There is no intimacy. There is no closeness. And it not only occurs between me and God, but amongst us. Because it brings a separation between wife and husband. If you have sinned, you would want to hide. Because you don't want him or her to know. And so that drives me to I want to take care of this thing. I begin to strive to take care of it. But our effort to make us godless or to make us godly will always yield a negative result. Because we can't. It only keeps us into slavery. Go with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Let's go back to that. 
Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not again be entangled, or do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, you know, circumcised is referring to your own works to make yourself righteous. If you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. I don't want Christ to profit me nothing. I don't want Christ to be of no effect to me because I'm trying to make myself godly. Continue. And I testify again to everyone who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to, to keep the whole law. For you have become estranged, in other words, severed from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. You know, many people that I've talked with, you know, initially when I was, when I started going into this grace deeply, they use that verse to say that you can lose your salvation. They say you've fallen from grace. They say you've fallen from grace into hell. But that place is not talking about, they say you've fallen from the law, I mean you've fallen from grace into law. In other words, you now want to be godly by your own actions. Okay, you now want to be justified by your own actions, by your own works. And like uh, uh, Pastor Dola said the other day, Christ is of no effect to you then. Okay, grace is of no effect to you because you now want to do it your own way. Amen? Amen. So grace teaches us to trust God, that God can handle our sin. And he has done it, hasn't he? He has done it. He said, when he hung on that cross, he says, by the shedding of blood is forgiveness. The remission of sins comes back. So what used to stand as a barrier between you and God has been removed. Nothing separates you from God. Not only has he removed the sin, he has also made you righteous, godly. First Peter says that he has given us everything that pertains to what? Life and godliness. Hear me. Life means identity. Godliness means behavior. What comes out of my identity? He has given us, he has equipped us with a new identity. And out of that identity flows life. And that is a holy life. He has done it. All you need to do is to trust him. Trust what he has said. The just shall live by faith. The godly shall live by trusting. Number four, grace melts mask. Now, this, this, this is so important to me. Why? Because this was really my problem. Like I said, I had so many masks. So many masks. I had one mask for coming to church. As soon as I get into my car, by the door, I wear that mask. Holy, 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 holy mask. As soon as I step out, that mask. So I kept juggling masks, you know. 
And that's a terrible thing. You juggled all those masks until I had a hernia of masks juggling. It's terrible. It's a terrible life. You juggle masks. I mean, you know, this is this is something that you know is so common amongst uh, those of us from the from the other side. You see somebody say, "How are you?" you say, hey, "I'm fine." I say, "Lie." It's a lie. Because if you dare go deeper to us, maybe he has just kicked his dog, just slapped his wife and said, I'm fine. A mask. And you that is asking, how are you? You really don't know how he is. So you're lying. Next time somebody asks you, how are you sitting? You really want to know how I am? Sit down. Can you give me three hours? They're not going to ask you anymore. Because they really don't want to know. And so we go around with a big smile, but very sad eyes. Big smile, sad eyes. And nobody wants that. Nobody wants to have that. The big smile, but very sad eyes. So striving leaves us with dysfunctional and and leaves us immature because it creates hiddenness. I want to hide. And we have so many ways of hiding. Some of us hide in alcohol. We hide in drugs. At least if I take drugs, nobody would know, you know the insecurity that I'm facing. If I take this, if, let me just try to medicate my pain. Nobody will know. Because if you know, you will reject me. And if you reject me, I won't feel good. So hiddenness makes us vulnerable to sin and towards maturity. You see, we build this wall around us. And so we're inside this castle. And you know one thing with walls? It doesn't let things in and you can't go out. So you cannot even receive the grace of God. And somebody wants to love you, you cannot receive love. You can't receive love when you are inside that wall. You know, you have this facade of strength. But inside, you see a weak little baby that is crying, please hold me. Just, just love me. I have um, counseled men Man that I know of a particular one who, who struggled with uh, adultery. Adultery. And uh, he, came up, he came up with the wife and I said, so tell me why you do it? Why you do it? And he looked at me and said, wow. He said, not really that I want to do it, but I just want somebody to hold me and say, you are loved. And so I carry that, you know, we call it macho flesh. You know, macho flesh, macho, to be a macho man. You know, I feel that the more women I sleep with, I feel I'm okay. I have, I have that sense of meeting that need of loneliness. 
a need of emptiness. And so the more I do it, you know, we call it macho flesh. It's a terrible thing. Deep inside, the underlying need was just somebody say, I love you. And she thought she never had that from his wife. And therefore, the more women I conquer, he called it conquering. The more women I conquer, the more I feel good about myself, that I'm the macho man. And that was a form of control. Until I, I got to knowing, hey, this guy is lonely. There's a need that has not been And it's only the love of God that can meet that need in his life. And he broke. And he broke. Amen. Amen. Grace creates authenticity. You are real. You don't fake things in the room of grace. And this genuineness will melt every mask and it reveals your true face. God's gift of grace is continuously and will always surround us. Like I said, Jesus who lives in us is full of grace and truth. The grace environment fosters maturity and then to enjoy this realm, God, hear me, and this 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 is an important point. God does not ask us to get our acts together. No, it's not. You remember the song that we sang here? It said, the grace of God found me where? Just as I am. That's the grace of God. It doesn't say you have to get all of your acts together or stop sinning so much. Now, this will be radical. Say, I'm going to meet you (laughs) where you are. Rather, God wants us to become more dependent on him. I'm not going to say until I get my acts together before I go to God. Because he already knows. And he has called you righteous. Yes. I'm still making wrong choices. Yes, that's what you do. But that's not who you are. I am not what I do. But who I am will determine what I do. But what I do does not determine who I am. And that is so key. I'm speaking English, but I'm not an Englishman. I'm a typical, typical Nigerian from Oran. <laughs> yes, I speak English. That's my behavior. That's what I do. But that's not who I am. When someone shows grace to us, that person begins to cultivate an environment that reflects God's grace. And that's, that's what I do in my counseling office. You know, they tell me they are, you know, call it the presenting problems. They tell me why they come. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. I'm struggling with that. I say, yes. I empathize with them, meaning I bring myself to where they are. I don't sympathize with them. Hear me, there's a difference between empathy and sympathy. Sympathy means I feel sorry for you. Empathy says, hey, I can put myself where you are and then I stand out objectively so I can help you. Amen. 
If I feel sorry for you, I cannot help you. But if I empathize with you, I bring myself to where you are, and then I stand out. This is the truth. I tell you, if I, if I feel sorry, I will not tell you the truth. But I empathize. I give you objective. And sometimes what they are struggling with might be what I'm struggling with. And so if you sympathize with them, you will not tell them. Because you say, wow, I'm having the same issues. How can I tell them? But I empathize. And then I stand out and give them the truth. Because it's the truth that sets them free. Amen. Amen. The grace environment is authentic. It is unhidden. It is an unhidden place where the mask will start to melt. And then our sins can be known. And we know that we are safe. Because grace is a safety net. It's a safety net. Not only our sins known, but it, it can be addressed by the power of grace. For by grace we are saved, right? By grace we are saved, not of our own doing. And Paul would say, just the same way you are saved, walk in it. How are you saved? By grace, through faith. So how do you walk in it? By grace, through faith. Trust. God did not save you and say, oh, now go and obey the Ten Commandments by your own effort. No, he didn't say that. He said, trust me. Because you are work in my hand. Number five, and the, and the last one. Grace changes how we treat each other when we sin. Give me Galatians chapter six, please. Galatians chapter six. Galatians chapter six, from verse one. Okay. It says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual. Now that you there is in plural. You who are spiritual. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Considering yourself <laughs> lest you also may be tempted. Continue. Verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And what is the law of Christ? Love one another. Even as I've loved you. If Christ had to raise the standard, you know, it was love, love God, love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? Christ said, love others even as I've loved you. That is the law of Christ. So, you know, when, 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 when people try to make law the opposite of grace, no, law is not the opposite of grace. The opposite of law is lawlessness. The opposite of grace is legalism. You know, legalism, I want to do it with my own strength. I'm blessed because of what I do. But grace says, no, I am blessed because of what Christ has done. That is grace. So there is a difference between law and grace. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Three, for if anyone thinks himself to be strong when he is nothing, he deceives himself. For, but let each one examine his own work, and then he will have then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. 
And so grace will, will not allow you to begin to compare yourself with others. Say, examine your own self. Examine yourself. He said, if you, you know, that word that, that says, if you catch somebody, it's, it's not like you discovering that this person is struggling with it. It's no, this is addiction. See, if you are enslaved by that sin, he said, you that is the whole body now, you that is spiritual, he said, help that other person in love, in gentleness. He said, be mindful of you yourself because you may be tempted. So even me as a counselor, when somebody tells me something that he struggles, and I struggle with that thing, I struggle with that thing, the more reason I'll be empathetic, I'll be gentle with him. Because he says, be careful, because you yourself, you can be tempted. Because you've been there before. Be careful, because you can be tempted. So, we see, we no longer see one another through the greed of shame, blame, and anger. We no longer feel we must compete with each other. We no longer come into a relationship feeling ashamed, condemned, and, and unacceptable. We no longer hide our real faces from each other. We begin to discover that our character is formed in relationships before I can relate with you. Here is a very important point. I'm jumping and jumping to five. When our theology gives us the permission to see Christians as sinners, we give ourselves the permission to reject them. We give ourselves the permission to reject them. That is point, point number five. We, we give ourselves the permission to reject them. I reject you because you are a sinner. You've done one, two, three, four, five, six. And the last point is this. Grace is permission. In other words, the permission to be who we are, to be true faith, all the mask down, radically changes how we see each other and how we deal with sin. We can now be exactly who we are with all our issues and problems and unresolved stuff and still fully experience grace, love, and acceptance. In the room of grace, there are no superstars. There are no pretenders. It's not a caste system. You know the caste system that they have in, uh, in India, where they have you know, hierarchy? Caste system. No, there are no superstars. There are no pretenders. Flawed and, um, and broken and fragile people, compromised people, are celebrated for their weaknesses, for their vulnerability, and determined dependence upon their identity in Christ. No wonder Paul said in Second Corinthians, when he was buffeted with the, you know, the thorns in the flesh, and he said he went to God and prayed three times. Three times means he prayed endlessly. That is the, you know, the Greek translation of that. He prayed endlessly. He said, Lord, would you take this thing away from me, this weakness? And the Lord said, hey, my grace is what? Sufficient unto you. And what did Paul say? I can boast of what? My weaknesses. I can boast of distress. I can boast of persecution. I can boast of my, because when I'm weak, (laughs) 
then I'm strong. God cannot give strength to strength. It's going to be strength to weakness. You know, when we... You see, God brings us to the end of ourselves. Every child of God, before you can experience the life that is in you, because it is not your life, it is the life of Christ. You cannot live another person's life. Does that make sense? You have the life of Christ in you. And you have your own life. I cannot live the life of Christ. It's got to be Christ who lives his life in me and through me. And all I have to do is yield. And you know, we are going to struggle with yielding. We're not going to yield. We're not going to yield. Until you are brought (laughs) to the end of your strength. Of all of your resources. And you say... (laughs) I surrender. I surrender. Sometimes (laughs) the brokenness can be traumatic. It can be painful. It can be painful. But there has to be that step. Brokenness brings about surrender. Surrender brings about yielding. And on yield, the life of Christ cannot begin to manifest even through me. Now, what is the conclusion in all of this? You see, resolving a sin issue is not the conclusion. Or getting well, being delivered from all those things, is not the conclusion. God's ultimate purpose in this, let me give us God's ultimate purpose in this. It is to mature us. It's to mature us. Romans 8 says, and God causes all things to work together for good unto them that love God. Is it for please put it up so I don't uh, mess up the Romans chapter 8 from verse 28 and then we are going to end with that. Romans chapter 8 from, from verse 14. Okay. Let's see verse, verse 14. It's 28. Yes. Are we there? Romans 8. (laughs) Thank you, Revelation. You see, God, because I want to show you God's purpose. You see, and we know that all things, uh, give it to me in NASB, New American Translation, but New American Standard Bible, please. And we know that God causes, I like that word, he causes. So it's not me doing it. He causes all things. Say all. all Good, bad. <laughs> bad. Things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Go to 29, you'll see God's purpose in this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. God's purpose in all of this, the ultimate objective is to conform you to the image of his son. And you're going to resist it so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. If you know God as a father, I know I'm a father, I want a family. I want a family of children. 
God wants us to be his children. And so he allows those things into your life. Those things that are like thorns. And then they will ship you. They will ship you. You learn to trust him. You learn to rely on him. You lose your own strength, your own resources. It's no longer my academics. Nope. It's God. It's no longer my beauty or my height or my macho. Nope. It's God. He shapes you until you come to the end of yourself. That is when his strength is made perfect in you. So God wants to mature us. Not only that, so that when he matures you, you will be a good influence. So that to others, to others. So he matures us so that we could be a good influence to others. And then when we become a good influence, glory to God. The family of God is built and we are his children. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Questions? Okay. All right, we have uh, some time for questions, comments. Um, I had to, you know, rush through this, but if you have questions, um, yes. So I came out, 
as I came out through the dog doors, it's like something that has been on my shoulder was just being removed. Yeah. So I looked to the left and the right, and I looked for a good restaurant. And I went in there, and I sat, and I ate everything I can think of. <laughs> I said, well, RMBS is no more for me. So um, 2000, I'll just be picking something, so I, I don't uh, use all the uh, time. So 2000, 2000, yeah, 2000, I had to uh, open an assistant living. Uh, with the husband, you know, so husband, I'm not saying everybody, but some people don't like, it's like in every way, whatever I can, I can do, it will be like, oh, even if I took off, like, I'm off, you know, when you are off, you are not to be on your foot all day long. You need to sit down and rest, or all your feet are walking. If it's me that have this uh, license that you have, oh, I'll be making money. I said, well, God doesn't create me to walk, walk, walk. <laughs> I don't do my time. I only do my eight hours or twelve hours and I'm gone. I don't do my time. The only way I can do my time is when there is winter, you know, when there is snow and you can't go home because there will be no nurses to take over. So that is the only time you see me do my time. Yeah. Anyway, so I bought two houses in Baltimore and it didn't work. So I closed it, I, I sold the house. Because everything has been ready, so but there's something that is holding me back. So I went back to work. I was off work for a year, you know, facing that business, and when it didn't work, so I stopped. So when I was here in 2014, I was talking in the room, in my hotel room. So he said, if you can let go of some things, you will see what I will do. Mm. He said, November, uh, October will be third year you've been working there, and after October there is no more grace for you at that job. I was like, okay. He said, leave the house, leave everything that you think you have. Mm. I was telling Pastor, you know. I told Bishop too. So I was like, okay, how am I going to do it? You know. But as God would have it, it came in time. It was telling, it was threatening me that I'm leaving, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. And when somebody is telling you, they are leaving you, they are leaving you, there will be a time that it will be like this. Pastor 
you know all about what I'm talking about. So, um, it, it is a battle. Even there was a time, it's like, you know, in the Bible, they have a Elisha with the face of bad. That happened to me in real life. Hmm. He came one day from Nigeria and said, Tony, we will make it. I said, okay, yeah, I think we will make it. Do you want to eat fish? I said, yes. So we went to the fish place. He bought um, catfish. That's your husband, right? Uh-huh. Okay. That's why I don't like catfish. He bought catfish. I was looking at him. <laughs> he cut the needle, put all the inside, you know, and he has to say, where can we get incense? I said, I know the song, so I took him there. So he bought everything, and he said, whatever I'm saying, just say amen. I said, okay. I took my Bible, he was in front, I was at, I was behind him, and he was chanting out, I didn't even listen to what he was saying, and I was reading my Bible. I opened the book of Psalms. I at least I read seven Psalms behind everything that he was saying. Because of everything that he has put in the house, right. that's why the God doesn't want me to stay there. Wow. He wants me to move out of the place. So he was saying that. Then I was like, what type of a life is this? Even when I went to work, you know, you have been going to work all day, you want to come back and eat. I can eat in, in the house because I don't know what you're going to put inside the food. So it gets to a time that I don't even cook. But he will go to the store, he will cook as if there's going to be a party in the house. But I'm, I'm not going to eat it. I don't eat it. We just live together as a stranger. Mm. And we tell him, I don't have money. I don't have money, but I don't look past that. I, I look past that, you know, because I know that God is providing for me. So I will, I will pay for you everything. I will ask him what to tell me I don't have. But if we go to Nigeria, as we go to, to the sun, if I go to Nigeria like four or five times in a year, then I will be like, do you think I'm stupid? I can be a believer, but that doesn't mean that I'm stupid. You know. So it has been going on and on and on. So eventually he took me to court. Hmm. So that day when he took me to court, okay, before he took me to court, you know they would send you they would give you a paper. And it happens to be his friend that would bring the, the phone to me. And that friend happens to be a member of my church. So he gave, um, he gave me the letter and I signed it and the friend was asking me, are you going to go to the, to the court? I said, I don't have to go, you know, it's just a, it's a divorce, so why do I have to go to the court for? Not knowing that he's asking me because he's going with him. So on getting there anyway, I was, but before I, I left the house, I already prepared myself. You know, put myself in the hands of the Lord and say, God, just confuse the camp of the heaven. I want to see you do something today. So, 
all the paperwork of the house and everything, and took it with me. How I paid everything of the mortgage and all that. So and I said, I said, God, if you don't want me to say anything, shut my mouth. So when I get to the parking lot, I was looking for where to park. And the Holy Spirit was telling me, go and park over there. Not knowing that he wanted to see that he came with this person. So I parked. As soon as I moved to my left, I saw both of them in the car. I was shocked. He told me to cut. He didn't, he didn't even know um, that. That didn't hurt me. Because I think eventually it is going to happen. But seeing that friend being the, my church, you know, the church member, that is the you know, we went to the same church. That is the only thing that caught me. I was like, huh? It's like Judas and Jesus. <laughs> I was like, you that we ate and break bread in the same church? So my stomach was so trampling. I couldn't think straight. And the Holy Spirit said, get, you know, search your car and go and find somewhere else to park. He just wanted to see that the came. They put me together. So I went and parked at the other end. Yeah, I couldn't see them. So I turned down and I started praising God and I started, you know. So when it's time to go into the court, I went inside. So I sat down and the judge asked me, just said, Madam, I don't have anything to ask you. He's the one that brought you here. So I'm not going to ask you nothing. Just listen. I didn't say anything. And she, the judge was asking me, and he was so confused. Mm. He didn't know what to say. When you ask him A, you will get B and C and D. Then the judge said, Mr. Man, he called the, you know, the, the what did they call him? Those people that will stand beside the judge. The he called him and said, Give it to him. Go outside and stay there for 45 minutes. Stop what you go through here, then you come back. After you study, I will ask you all the questions again. Because right now you are not in a position to say anything. I was just praying, you know, I didn't say a word. So we sat outside for 45 minutes. Then after that, we went home. But while we are staying outside, both of them could not look at my face. So we went back inside the court and the judge was asking him questions. Then after that, the judge asked the other man, who are you to know? Oh, he said, oh, I'm his friend. Do you know her? And he said, yeah. And the judge said, how do you know her? He said, I know both of them. Um, me and that lady were in the same church. And the judge said, you went to the same church with her and you are going to testify against her? Huh. I don't want to say anything because I would, whatever I said, you know, it would be against them. So I, I just leave everything to God. Everything that I'm paying for or whatever, I didn't even show it because I know that God has already won the battle for me. And the judge was asking me, "Do you? What do you want?" I said, "I don't want anything. Hmm. Just let him go." Okay. Now I want to start a business, you know, 
the judge that brought it up, and she said, Ma'am, do you want to keep the name? Because I know that you have to go through all the paperwork. And I was like, God is working for me. Then I said, Judge, can I ask you if I can use the name? I didn't even finish my sentence, and just Ask you this: <clears throat> Have you forgiven that your brother? Yes, I did. I forgave every one of them. Okay, 
Because by forgiving them, you are releasing yourself from any bondage. You are releasing yourself. I was, yes. That's right. That's right. That's right. God hates divorce, but he loves the divorcee. So the love of God that um, is always there. You can always receive that healing. And also pray for your ex-husband. Um, that his eyes may be open to see the love of God. Amen. Thank you so much for being that open and sharing that with us. Any other question, comments? I just wanted to say, as Yes, sir.
Yeah. So somehow I didn't know that this was going to come up. In fact, in the magazine that you have, I've, there is there is a writing on that: choosing to forgive, choosing to forgive. But 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 let me, in fact I will I will I will really encourage each of you uh, to read that, study it. Um, it's really good uh, because one of the last things I do in my office is to get people to go through this forgiveness because forgiveness leaves like a burden off. You, know? you are releasing yourself from whatever bondage that you've been holding onto. You know, when, when you don't forgive, when you're still carrying the pain and the hurt, when you see the person, three things will happen. Anger, you get angry. Three, anxiety, fear. Fear. And fear is a torment. But when you forgive, let me define what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is canceling the debt the person owes you. And that is how Christ, when, you know the parable that he gave, yeah. uh, you know the parable of, uh, uh, you know, the man who was, that's right. So forgiveness because it's like this. If you offend me, what do you owe me? You owe me one apology. You owe me apology. Um, you owe me my, my getting even with you. So retribution. You owe me that. But I'm saying I'm going to release you from the debt that you owe me. You don't owe me any more apologies. Uh, I don't have to get even with you. I release you from that debt. So forgiveness is cancelling the debt that is owed me. Okay. Reconciliation, you see, <clears throat> you may forgive somebody, but you may not reconcile. Because reconciliation is between two people. I might want to reconcile with you, but you don't want to reconcile with, with me. Mm-hmm. That's right. It takes and there'll be no reconciliation. All right. Does that make sense? Yes. I can forgive you. Okay, I can forgive you. Choice. Reconciliation is now, should we get back to how we were? You may not want it. If I want it, you don't want it, then there is no reconciliation. But I'm free because I've released you. I've released myself from the debt that you owe me. Amen. Release from my heart. Amen. That is how I see. I, yes, I see that's that. correct. Accurate. Yes. So people say, "Well, some people think, well, if I forgive, then I have to forget." No. No. You still thinking You can still remember, but the thing is that if you remember, also remember that you have forgiven him or her, yes. and that you are not going to use that thing against him or her anymore. It's only God who says, I will remember your sins no more. But I still remember mine. (laughs) I don't have that ability. Unless I become, uh, what is that thing called? That disease. You know, that you forget things. Amnesia. Amnesia. But I still remember, but I don't feel the pain anymore. And I don't use it against you. That is forgiveness. Forgiveness is a choice. It's not a feeling. Say, I feel like I forgive. No, no, no. Choose to forgive. And you will forgive. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Thank you. Okay. I it's okay. I'm going to come stand next to you because okay. you're a really good part of this, <laughs> which I'm sure you know. Yeah. It's okay. 
hi, my name is Faith. Um, and um, actually not 100% sure still why I'm up here, um, but I felt the pressing of the Holy Spirit to come down here, so that's, I'm just being obedient. Um, I wasn't actually going to come here today. It's the summer. Uh, this service starts pretty early. You know, I like to sleep in, and I have homework, so I can just as easily stay at home. But um, once again, being obedient, I came, and I'm really glad I did. And I want to thank all of you um, for commuting and just being able to share this because this is really important for me. Um, I struggled a lot with forgiveness. I know I'm an itty bitty thing, you know, I'm still a baby. <laughs> but um, I had to I had to learn this lesson pretty early, and I'm really grateful to Pastor Stephen because he was a major pillar um, in teaching me this very very young. And jeez, um, any words? Um, Sin issues are magnified on children when kids are affected by things around them. All of the effects that come with that are much more apparent because they don't fit. They're, they, it's, it's stranger to see anger or anxiety on a 12-year-old than it is to see on an adult. Um, and I was very angry because I was hurt by somebody very important to me. And because of that anger, um, I was a very spiteful and kind of rebellious child, not outwardly, but inwardly, which in my opinion was a little bit more destructive. Um, and I was afraid and I was very anxious. And I remember at one point, I was so hurt and so angry that I actually prayed that God would make me who I was before everything that happened happened to me. Because I didn't like who I was anymore. And I thought that the answer was to just go back to 12 real faith who didn't know any better, who hadn't experienced anything. And what I didn't realize was that was a catalyst. That was an opportunity God was going to use to teach me grace. Not only to show me it, but to teach me how to affect others with it. And I learned forgiveness because... When I was hurt, I was told forgiving somebody just means that you don't necessarily have to mean it. It's just the moment that you say you forgive somebody, forgive somebody. And I thought that that was true. But what I didn't realize was if you're still expecting somebody to recognize that they did wrong by you and you're still expecting them to come back and grovel and beg for your forgiveness, you are creating a God complex for yourself. And that's not your role. My role was to, be, to submit myself to God and ask Him to forgive me for holding on to the anger and the fear that I had. And I, I did that, or I thought I did. And then I got that apology that I was looking for. And it was not what I wanted. That apology was, in my opinion, or what I felt, was insincere, and it was incomplete, and it, it didn't fully recognize everything that I was feeling, and so it wasn't, it wasn't enough, and I wanted more from that. I wanted more of an apology, and I wanted it to solve all of the problems that came from the hurt that had affected me, and that was when I realized I still hadn't forgiven, and I still hadn't completely learned grace, and grace is a process, and I don't think you can ever fully learn it. Um, at least not to the capacity that God knows it. 
but you can experience it and you can practice it. And it's very important to do that. And, and I think that the point where I knew that it was a finished work was when I was able to recognize my purpose. Not just that I had one, but what it was. Because that showed me that I was bigger than all of the hurt that I felt. And I was bigger than that apology that wasn't what I wanted it to be. And I was bigger than all that anger and that fear that I felt as a 12-year-old. And that I was able to walk past that and move past that and walk in grace. And to still love somebody who had hurt me. Even though as a 12-year-old, you would think that it's easier to hold a grudge. But it hurts a lot more. And so when I was able to move past that, I was able to be a regular 17-year-old girl. I was able to walk out the purpose that God had called out to me. And I don't really know who this is for or what this is for, but I just think it's really important to recognize that grace is so much bigger than any kind of hurt that people think that they can affect over you, anything that people think that they can do to belittle you or to take away your power or to make you feel shame or to hurt you. And it's even bigger than them thinking that they can resolve all of that by apologizing or by, you know, doing things to try and earn back your love. Because at the end of the day, God has completed all of those things. Amen. Amen. And I'm so grateful because you helped me learn that. And it was because you were a willing vessel that I was able to be affected in that way. And I was able to affect the people who hurt me. And I was able to show them grace, even when it hadn't been afforded to me. And God has been able to show them grace because I managed to get out of the way. And I wanted to thank you. And I wanted everyone here to know that I am grateful. God bless you. a woman like this. Yes. Wow. Which one? Okay.
You know, you know, you asked why that pain is still there. You know, it's 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 only we that you know if we have if we have a wound and we put a bandaid on it, you know, to cover it. And we have many bandaids in our lives. And when God wants to heal you, it takes you with the bandaid. It takes you so that the pain will come up to the surface. And it is then that it will now pour in the balm of Gilead that takes away all the pain. Sometimes it's difficult for us to forgive ourselves and to forgive God. Sometimes we hold grudge against God. Why did you allow this to happen in my life? So I'll encourage you to read that. It might be Necessary for you to forgive yourself and to forgive God. It's a choice. It's not a feeling. The feeling will catch up. <laughs> but if you make the choice, I have forgiven. Your feelings may not line up yet, but it's going to catch up with what you've done. Amen. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. She. Yes. It's like forgiveness with someone that it's outside. When he was talking, is a church member that may not necessarily see him too much. What about if you have someone so close to you that? Because you're saying forgiveness doesn't mean the person has to apologize or accept the wrong. You just have to forgive. Well, I have I have listed steps there for forgiveness. I had to forgive my mom. I had to forgive my dad. But they were long dead. But I was still carrying this hurt. Why they rejected me. Why? You know, sometimes overprotection is rejection. I don't know whether you know that. You protect a child so much, you don't allow this. Because I wasn't allowed to even think for myself. My mother was so, and that was the only way that she could protect me from the, you know, from the limbs of the people. But if I went outside, they would call me bastards, and then I didn't know what it meant. So I would run home, and my mom would say, hey, don't go out again. If I want to say, don't say anything, I'm going to speak for you. So she overprotected. I didn't know how to think. Overprotection. You can forgive somebody who is dead. You can forgive somebody who is not there. In fact... Because there are some people that you think you have hurt and they don't know that you've hurt them. So if you go tell them, say, I forgive you, they say, what did I do to you? And that might create problems. That might create problems that you were not ready to handle. So if you know that somebody has hurt you, you can, what I, practice, what I do in my counseling office is put that person, I put an empty, empty chair and I say, imagine that that person is sitting down there. First of all, Tell the person what he or she did. Because you cannot forgive if there is no offense. Say, you, dad, you did this to me. 
least if I want to do it, my counseling office, I, I tell them now, go, I give them a sheet of paper, I say now, go write down the names of people that you think have offended you and write down all the things that they have done to you. You have to acknowledge the offense. Number two, when you have acknowledged the offense, now acknowledge how it made you feel. You see, because most of us act based on our emotions. You did this to me, Dad, and because you did this to me, this is how I felt. I felt I was worthless. I felt I was a non-entity. I felt I was a failure. Judge the account uh, with respect to what he or she has done, and then judge your feelings. Attach a feeling to uh, that. The next step is, yes, I choose to forgive you. I choose to release you from all the debts that you owe me. You owe me apology, you owe me that, but I choose to release you from all of those things. The next step, which is most difficult, is that I'm going to let you be who you are. If you want to hurt me, you are free to do so. Very tough indeed. You see, <laughs> and that is a tough aspect. Are you going to trust God? That is the most painful aspect. I'm going to set you free to be who you are. If you want to hurt me, you are okay to do so. I'm free. Tough. Why Yeah. Yeah. That's masking. It's tough. Can't. But if the person is dead, will he still hurt you? You see, if 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 you are still holding on to that, if you are still holding on to that, then it seems to be that, that that is then you have not really let go. Are you going to trust God on that, or are you going to trust yourself? Trusting God, casting all of your cares upon Him because He does what He cares. Okay. Can we give practical examples to Him? Okay, in my case, like, okay, like, in laws. Thank God for in laws. Like, money from the son to the wife, the son to the mother, and his wife, and I took care of him in my culture, the men, it goes on. Well, when it comes to the wife, to the husband in law, you have to can't even tell him what you can't even and but the because they said something about me that um I got they told my friend and my friend got to tell me and if I said my friend was lying husband should not say it. Mm. And that's kind of giving me issue trust in I mean, I don't want to be vulnerable to them. I can't trust, you know. That the view of me, okay, we accepted but the view is like I'm not being too accepted, or maybe they regretted allowing me to get their son in another stuff. So you can't just say, you know, your mother and your mother, you can't just say I'll be free with them, I will be, I would allow them to hurt me the more, or you know, because of what they said, that maybe it's when I marry the son, all his life turned upside down or something, and I know that people as the person is not like me, I know. Each other's zone is not me, and I can see the irritation 
sooner. Maybe they poisoned his heart. And... So now, even so, my husband asked me, and um, if he apologized, but he said I caused this for what has happened, and if what he has done, the trace is showing again. Like that means he has not repented of what he has done. You mean, okay, let's give an example. Somebody, somebody is saying that he's a thief and he has stolen from you. Do you mean because you want to allow the person because they'll say you have not forgotten what has happened? You just leave your money carelessly or you mistakenly leave your money carelessly and you see the person come here. I want you to jump and pick your bag because you know you need the money. I mean, that's why you're saying no, 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 no. allow the person to be. So the person no. is a you're a thief and forgiving you. But I'll free you to continue to steal from me. Okay, okay. Okay, that is where <laughs> there, is, there is what is called healthy boundaries. Healthy boundaries. You put the healthy boundaries. Of course, the example that you've, you've given, if you know, you've forgiven the person, but you know that this person cannot keep his hands to his pocket. Once it's still, wisdom, set healthy boundaries. You know, if you see the person, you don't keep your things carelessly. But you have forgiven him or her. But set healthy, uh, uh, when I say healthy boundaries, I mean healthy boundaries. God-driven boundaries. Not the boundaries that you set by yourself. Lord, how do I protect myself from this? I know, I know that I could be hurt again. And the person is free. Even if you give him or her the freedom to hurt you, if she wants to hurt you, she will see hurt you. So the freedom is there. But Lord, show me the boundaries that I will set in order to help that person. It's really not for me, but to help him or her. Um, healthy boundaries is important. I don't, if, I mean, in my counseling office, if a wife comes in and complains of physical abuse, physical abuse, I mean, physical abuse. Um, I'm not going to say divorce. I will encourage separation so that one of them will not die. In fact, Moses had to do that. He said, because of the hardness of your heart, you know, you can give your, uh, you know, your spouse a set, set certificate of divorce. I encourage separation, but not divorce. Maybe within that period, uh, forgiveness and things could be worked out and then they can go back to you know, but so healthy boundaries a God given boundary uh, in order to help that person and of course help you also does that help? Yes. okay okay sure sure Should be earned there. But you have to forgive. That what the Panashak said is so true. I was yeah. going through the forgiveness process where I wrote a letter to somebody who I thought I forgave. Mm-hmm. But going through the counseling session, I discovered that, you know what, I didn't really. I said it, so I have to write a letter and I read it to the empty chair. And I went through that process. Now, I have. 
it's I'm showing sure those difficult things where like someone doesn't love you. Yeah. But his grace is more than sufficient. Is it that I'm going to do it or grace is going to do it? So I'm not going to trust. Grace is going to trust. I just yield to it. And it's not going to happen in one day. Before I got married, I prayed for a wonderful mother because of what my mother went through. Mm. I guess I forgot to pray for what a wonderful sister. But I love her. I do. I'm I'm just keeping it real. I loved her through it. And to my hearing, she got everything, but to my hearing, this time last year, she called my husband and she told him, I'm glad you married the woman that you married. She has not changed. You know, you know. And I had to reclaim my ears to make sure that she was the one that was talking. Grace is more than sufficient. I will do it. Just leave the truth that you know That's right. and depend on him. You may be the Christ that you are looking for. You never know why you heard what you heard. You never know why you're going through what you're going through. But it's hard, but trust me, grace works. I have story after story. I'm the last person that will believe in grace. But grace works. <laughs> grace, I don't know how to say it. it works. Just trust him. This guy that we serve is amazing. Yes, it is. It works. I really want to appreciate God for the opportunity to be here. It wasn't part of my plan to be here coming from Nigeria, but I thank God for Bishop Um, I would say that a lot of grace for me to share this. It was while all this journey was going on, God began on me to just share this. Um, my name is Kensala. I have six brothers from the family of seven. I'm the only girl, so I didn't have a on-point line being a girl. I've always wanted to be a guy. You know, I won't travel all my life. I just had this pattern. But I knew that there was one thing I wanted to do. I wanted to sing. I just, anything that happened with singing, I wanted to. And growing up was a bit not so difficult, but a lot of things seem differently from my own perspective because I had to become independent at a very tender age. And because of that, I didn't start a relationship in life and time. I didn't believe, I didn't, at the back of my mind, I think that what is a man going to offer me? If it's money, I'll have money. If it's, you know, so I just took relationship out of it for a very long time. But then, fast forward, I was about to round up university, I met this guy and we started off. I did everything. I'm a very loving person. I love people and I thought I was doing things in the right way, you know. Cooked, took care of him, I was in the I was his advisor, I was his prayer warrior, I was the only thing that I was doing apart from my business, I was singing. So I mean and I was everywhere because it wasn't as if there was anything wrong. I didn't know if there was anything I was doing wrong, but I thought we were good. And in 2011 we started planning our wedding and I we had we 
production date was set, and we had bought the attires and all that. And his parents were here in the US, and he said he wanted to travel. Seven years down the line, he just busted into my, came to my house one of those days, and he was like, he's angry, he just came from the embassy, and they didn't give him reason. I was like, ah, what's going on? Okay, so I declared that. The next time you go, you'll give you visa. Don't worry, everything will be fine. And six months down the line, he had gone. He had gone to another visa. This time they gave him visa, and he came to me. We celebrated, and he said, okay, we are going to go ahead with the introduction, and he was going to travel, and then he was well with it. Initially, I was like, okay, it's not bad, why not? But somehow something just flipped in my spirit. I was like, you do introduction and go to America. And me, I will be here. I just thought about the lot of them. I was like, is there something wrong or something? But then a lot of things that actually been going on that I looked over. I felt, okay, it will change or something will just leave and God will take care of it and everything. So I just felt, what's going on? So I called him back and I said,
So it was like I'd done something wrong. It was like I didn't handle it with wisdom. It was like I, I just don't know. You know, and you know, in part of the world I come from, marriage, you got to the age, you're not married, you say, ah, hey, you are truthy, you are this, you are that. You know, it, it was almost like a reproach. Mm. But I thank God for the grace of God. Yeah. At the point, my parents, my godparents felt I was going back to land. I, I got to be, they told me to, to pick some of my things for two weeks that we are traveling for administration or something. It was when I got to the airport, I saw I was going to Kenya. So I was locked out in Kenya for three months. I tried to come back because, you know, they buried the properly. So I was there. But while I was there, I began to come with God. And I was like, okay. These are the things that are going, these are the, you see, what, what do we do? How do we go from here? And Kenya, I thought that I had let go of what was going on. I thought that I had forgiven him. I thought that I was ready to move on and all that. Spoke to my grandfather and said, okay, come back to me. So we came back to Lagos and I continued life. Now, Papa and Mama Adiri wants me to come to the US. They were having their convention, they want me to come with you, so they want me to come. The first time they did that is because he came to the US and I was like, I'm not going to come to this US. If it's this US, like, freaking hell, I don't want to come to the US. So the first time, I didn't want to come. The second time, oh, they encouraged me, why not just? So finally, I came in. And it happened that in the same Maryland that I landed, in the same place, this guy, yes, and Okay, he had now gotten married to this Jamaican woman. And so, once he found out I was in town, Facebook or something, he started contacting me. I was wondering, what's going on here? Ah, you have become whatever life you want to become. Me, I'm life on my own. I don't think this life should mix. Enjoy your, let me enjoy my space, you know, being out here. And he came up with a lot of things, started explaining what had happened. Somebody that, after I sent him a long letter, I tried to call him. He didn't respond. He, the only time he said, eh, you know, I'm busy now. There was no explanation or whatsoever. He believed that the letter had done it for him. What was the, okay, so it was good. So he, he now started contacting me. He was calling me to say that. They, they, they have a group, I should come inside their church and say, So come and say what's your condition As in, I don't know what you I was so, that was when the height of my anger, that was when I was really very angry because I thought I, I was done with it. But you know, that just pulled me from the levels I never thought I was. I never, I can't imagine I was so rich that day. And I was like, so come to your church to do what? The best you could do for me is just allow me be. What are you taking me for granted because I've been quiet all the while, all that I allow me go? I know I am living here to a point that could take me for granted. Yes, I'm used to that. But this was like pulling every string of hair on my on my skin just because you think I'm someone you just you just you know just it was a loss for me. But finally, I got there. It was yesterday I got there with my sisters when we started talking. Mm. Just yesterday. 
and I was telling them that I cried so much that I've got no tears for that anymore because I've not gotten to a place I realize who I am on the grace. I realize that what I have been through is not just because of the name I bear, but because of who God has called me to be. If I had gone into that introduction, you would have still come into very much. I forgot that it was anything like that that happened in Lagos. So it's not just for grace, but for the fact that God got my back when I wasn't watching. Ah. Yes. Because, yes, I know if, if you know a man called Carrie's in Lagos, I'm one of their lead, music, lead ministers, and Carrie's is not a small band. So my girlfriends would have called their people to come from. The pastor arrived. Then my Egyptian people would have thought their own, and it would have been a big introduction because their daughter is getting married somewhere that's coming abroad, and I would have been messed up. But for the grace and the mercy of God, He pulled me out of what I thought was best for me. I thought it was not something that was good for me. I thought it was time for me to move into to this priesthood and move into. What I thought was now the beginning of the new era. And I said, you know, just because I can't even talk about it, just yesterday I called him because he's been saying that his wife wanted to talk to me and I was like, for what? So after I got home yet to the back to the other side, I quietly called him. And I said, Yes, now I'm ready to talk to your wife. My Lord. Wow. And I said, did he tell you who I was? Because you sounded so excited that you want me to come to your church. Did he tell you who I was? I said, I am grateful that you have the man that you have. But I'm grateful that I am where I am today. So I want to give God the glory for this opportunity to be able to share, this opportunity to be able to learn and drink from this water. Amen. Amen. Let's just swim in this atmosphere of healing. There are some who want to share, but maybe for some reason you don't want to share, but the grace is here. Paul said, My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. Let's just flow. Let's just flow in this. Let's just receive the balm of Gilead. The balm of Gilead. You know, what Paul said, he said, those that have received the abundance of grace will rule in life. He didn't say you will cope with life. You know, we have all kinds of coping patterns. But he said you will reign in life. You will rule in life. You will reign over resentment. You will reign over disappointments. You will reign over betrayals. You will reign over sin. You will reign over addictions. You will reign over bitterness. You will reign over all those emotions. They are emotions. They are real. But that's not you. That was just be angry, yet do not sin. Please, could you lead us in a, a time of prayers, I mean, uh, worship, as we just thank God? Amen.
Thank you, sir.